Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the centre of Cardiff, dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Well, happy Mother's Day. Today is Mother's Day, a day especially for honouring mums, for pregnant mums, for mums of little ones, for mums of grown-up children, for foster mums, stepmums, godparents, and for grandmothers, and for spiritual mothers too. Now, today might be a day of celebration for you. It might be a day where you're marking the special lady in your life, or it might be a day of difficulty. It might be a day where you feel grief and pain, and it brings back home some of the difficulties that you might experience. Or perhaps you're like me, and you have a bit of both. Because on Mother's Day, I get to celebrate that I am mum to two incredible little girls. But I also acutely feel the loss of my own mum. And so whether today is joy-filled or pain-filled, can I just remind you that God loves you. That God is our nurturer. That God is our encourager. That God is our protector. That God is our teacher. And so no matter what our experience of mums and of motherhood is, that God's love is vast beyond measure, and he loves us so completely. Now today I want to talk about the most famous mother in the Bible, probably the most well-known mother in history, in fact, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now despite Mary being so well-known, everybody's heard of Mary, Often we've relegated Mary to being the star of the nativity. And so come January, she's kind of packed away with the manger and the wise men and the animals and stuck in the loft until next Christmas time. Or it might be that you're familiar with the Mary of many paintings. The silent Mary, whose eyes are usually downcast and she's very demure and quiet. Well, Mary is not only featured in the Gospels, uh, also in the New Testament, but she has a voice And in Luke's Gospel, he records Mary's song, or what's sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, which means, as from the Latin, to to magnify. So in Luke chapter 1, we pick up the story of Mary being told by the angel that she's going to be pregnant. This wonderful and miraculous news that she's going to be pregnant and she's going to give birth to a son. But he's going to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And after hearing this news, she goes to her relative Elizabeth's house. Now, Elizabeth is pregnant herself. She's six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And as Mary enters Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to read to you from Luke 1, verses 42 to 45. And it says, In a loud voice, she, Elizabeth, exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And that's when we hear Mary's song. So from verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so I want to look this morning at three major themes in Mary's song. And the first is that Mary's song is a song of praise. Turn to somebody next to you and say, song of praise. Song of praise. Not songs of praise. Song of praise. Mary has had this huge announcement, life-changing news. Not only is she going to be pregnant, miraculously, because she's a virgin, but she's going to be carrying the Son of God. She's going to be carrying the Messiah himself. Now, I think sometimes we forget the enormity of this 2,000 years later because we've heard the story lots of times around Christmas time. But do you know what? Miraculous conceptions were very strange back then, just as they are now. Biology was the same back then as it is now. So it wouldn't have been that the chatter around Mary would have been, what, she's saying she's pregnant, but she's not slept with anybody. Oh, it was the Holy Spirit, sounds about right. That was not what's happened at all. So Mary, having heard this news, she'd be facing the enormity of the response of her family, of her husband-to-be, as well as the responsibility of carrying, birthing, and raising the Son of God. But just as Elizabeth has, Mary recognizes what an incredible blessing this is, even though she's going to be facing some real challenges in her life because of this. She recognizes the amazing blessing that that this is, that God has chosen her. Out of all of the women in all of the world, God chose her. But she doesn't take any of the credit for it. She doesn't kind of nod sagely and say, well, I can see why you picked me. At no point does Mary take the credit. Instead, she focuses on God. Instead, she fixes her eyes on God. Do you know what? It's amazing how easily we can bring the focus back to ourselves in life, isn't it? Do you know how about the person who prays and prays and prays for the right job, for the, for the great opportunity that they've been looking for, and it comes along? And then they start to wonder, well, I am pretty good at what I do, aren't I? And I did ace that interview, and that's before six months later they start complaining about this job that they got. Or the person who prays and prays for the right relationship, And the person of their dreams, they come along. And then they start to think, well, I am quite a catch, aren't I? (laughs) It's easy, isn't it, to put the focus back on ourselves. We love to take the credit for things. And the world tells us we should because we deserve it, apparently. But here's Mary putting the focus firmly on God. Here's Mary putting the focus firmly on God in wonder and in awe. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's God who's her savior. It's God who is mighty. It's God who has done great things for her. Do you know, when challenging times happen in our lives, Often it can reveal what our faith is. Do we turn to God? Do we look to God? Do we pray to God? Do we ask God? But equally, when great things happen in our lives, that reveals where our faith is as well. Do we thank God? 
Do we acknowledge God? Do we praise God? Do we turn to him and give him all of the glory? Do we give him all of the credit? Do we praise him? Or do we get a bit too busy enjoying the blessing itself? See, Mary's eyes were fixed on God, and this continued well beyond her pregnancy. Mary wasn't just the mother of Jesus. She was a disciple of Jesus. See, Mary gave birth to Jesus. She nursed him, and she raised him, and she followed him. She was a disciple of Jesus. See, Mary traveled with Jesus. She was with him in his first miracle. She was with him as he hung on the cross. And she was there in that upper room, being filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That's what praise looks like, following Jesus through any and every circumstance. That's what glorifying God looks like, always following him and trusting in him having gratitude for all he does, having gratitude for all he is. Now, Mary's life was a life of praise. Mary's life was one where she gave God all of the glory. She looked to God, she followed God, and she trusted in him. So, Mary's song was a song of praise and a song of victory. Turn to somebody else and tell them, song of victory. victory. This song is a song of God's victory, of the God who performs mighty deeds, of God who is strong and powerful. This isn't Mary meek and mild. This is Mary bold and courageous, declaring the strength and the power and the might of God, proclaiming his victory. You know, Mary's carrying on a great tradition here of songs of victory sung by women in the Bible, like Miriam in Exodus 15, where she sings with Moses of God's victory in parting the sea and delivering the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians. Or Deborah in Judges 5, where she sings of God's victory in delivering the people out of the hands of Sisera and his army. And then Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, after Hannah gives birth to her long-awaited baby Samuel, and she's dedicated him to the Lord. And in fact, there are a number of echoes of Hannah's song in Mary's song. And throughout Mary's song, we see that Mary knows scripture. She knows scripture. Her theology was solid. She would have been a teenager, a young woman, and she knew her stuff. It is a great reminder to never underestimate our young people, to never underestimate the fact that our children and our young people are never too young to be learning the Bible. They're never too young to be learning about God. They're never too young to be declaring the victory and the praises of God. They're never too young to be declaring the truth about God and teaching us about God's strength and power and might. And all we need to do is pay attention. Pay attention. So Mary knew of the expected Messiah. She knew of God's promise to rescue and liberate his people. Do you know, when I hear the song at Christmas time, Mary, did you know, uh, there's part of me that kind of, you know, I love the wonder and um, the nice melody of the song, but there's also part of me that wants to shout, yes, Mary did know, Mary did know. In fact, she was one of the first to know. Read about it in Luke chapter one. I'm so sorry if I've spoiled that song for you. So this young woman with sound theology and a courage to say yes and declare God's victory is chosen to carry and birth Jesus. And her song highlights why 
she might have seemed like somebody quite unlikely to do something so significant. See, as well as being a young and unmarried woman, she sings that God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Other translations use uh, lowly instead of the word humble there. Now, this is referring to Mary's economic and social status in the world. Mary is lowly because she's part of an oppressed nation, um, but she's also poor. She was poor, and we know this because uh, after Jesus was born, her and Joseph, they went to the temple and they brought a sacrifice of uh, two doves or pigeons. Now, Leviticus 12 tells us that the sacrifice after a baby was born that was required was a lamb, unless the parents were too poor, in which case two doves or pigeons would have been acceptable. So we know that she didn't have status. We know that she was poor, that she was young. She was a woman in a society where women weren't treated equally. All these outward signs that she was not a likely person to do something significant. But how many of you know that God doesn't use social status or gender or wealth or age as his qualifications? How many of you know that those are not the things that God measures in order to be able to use us? God doesn't use the same measures as the world. In fact, Mary's song tells us what God is looking for. Mary's song tells us what the qualification is in order to be used by God to do something remarkable. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him. Those who fear him. That is what God is looking for. Those who fear him. Now, this might sound a little bit strange. Why would God want us to be afraid of him? Because fear, we often think, is not a good thing. And the Bible tells us in many places not to fear, in fact. And so we usually associate fear with the unknown, of uh, bad things. We want to stay away from whatever it is that we might fear. But this isn't talking about terror or being scared. This is talking about awe and reverence. This is talking about acknowledging God's great power and his greatness. Psalm 33, verses 8 to 9 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. It's about understanding that the God we worship is the creator of the whole world. That he spoke and it came into being. Now this fear, this reverence, it is, it's practiced in proximity. It isn't about being distant from God, but it's about knowing God, about being in relationship with God. Because yeah. James 2.19 talks about, you know, merely believing in God is not the qualification. Uh, it says, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. That's not the kind of fear that God is talking about. God is looking for those that have awe for him, for those that are, approach him in reverence. And this is what we see in Mary's song that she was in awe of God, that in her awe, she was able to declare his victory. Because that's what happens. The more that we get to know God, the more we understand his victory and how that outworks in our own lives. Because this is what happens is God has won the victory over sin and death, and we get to share in that. God has won the victory over darkness, and we get to walk in that. We get invited to share in God's victory. Do you know the truth of God's victory in your life? Do you know the truth of God's victory in your life? Do you know that God's victory means that you are an overcomer? Do you know that God's victory means that you can shine the light where there are dark places? Do you know that God's victory means that you never have to face hardship on your own? Do you know that God's victory means that you can have eternal life with him? Do you know this truth this morning? And if you don't, do you know what? I've got some great news for you because there's going to be an opportunity 
for you to come into a relationship with Jesus at the end of my sermon. Because I believe that somebody needs to hear that this morning. That we need to stand in victory and not in defeat. That we need to walk in the light and not in the darkness. Because we get to share in God's victory. And we get to be used by God. And the only qualification is fear of the Lord. The only qualification is fear of the Lord. So Mary's song is a song of praise. It's a song of victory. And it's a song of justice. Try and find somebody else that you've not spoken to yet and say, Song of justice. Shout it across the room if you want. Now, the context here is that she was singing in a time when Herod was on the throne. And the people of Israel, including Mary, they were oppressed. This is really important for us to know as we read verses 51 to 53 again. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. These words are a powerful, prophetic declaration. Who are the kind of people who are proud? Who was the ruler on the throne at the time? Well, that would have been Herod. That would have been Herod. It's like Mary squaring up to Herod in some way. It's like she's going toe-to-toe with Herod. These words of this poor young woman, they weren't only subversive back then, but even in more recent times, even in uh, more recent history, there have been countries, there have been governments that have banned the reading of these words that have banned the display of Mary's song because they are so fearful of these subversive words. In India, in Guatemala, in Argentina, only decades ago, these words were banned. They weren't allowed to be read. You see, Mary is singing of God's justice, of how he scatters the proud, of how he brings down rulers, of how he sends the rich away empty. No wonder there's been some rulers and governments who have been frightened, who have been threatened by these words. You know, I don't know, but if I had to picture Mary singing this song, I don't think I'd picture her like the paintings, eyes downcast, looking demure. I think I'd picture her standing with her fists clenched and her chin up as she sang of God's justice. You see, she's singing of God's justice, the God who lifts up the humble, the God who gives honor to those who society often gives none to. She's singing about God who fills the hungry with good things. And you know what? I think she's talking about spiritual as well as practical hunger. Because we see that time and time again in the Gospels, don't we? Jesus responds to both the physical and the spiritual. He sees us as whole people. It's this picture of God's upside-down kingdom where God turns things the way that they should be. The proud are brought down and the humble are raised up. The rich are sent away and the hungry are filled up. It's a leveling of unjust structures. She's singing of fairness and righteousness the kind that God brings into situations that are unfair, into situations where the oppressors have had a free reign over the oppressed. You know, one of the things that's really striking about these verses is that Mary sings in the past tense. He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has sent the rich away empty. Not he will, but he has You know what, I think there are a few reasons for this. The first is that she's singing of God's character. She's singing of who God is. This is who God is. This reflects God. This is the kind of God that he is and the kind of things that he can do. Secondly, this is a prophetic statement. She's speaking this because she knows God's truth. She's declaring God's kingdom coming into the world. 
And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, I think she's singing in the past tense because this justice that God promised, well, he came in the form of Jesus and he's growing right there in her womb. It's happening. It's happening already. This awaited Messiah that was God's promise of justice, freedom for the oppressed, fairness for the downtrodden, judgment for the evildoer, honor for the marginalized. The son who came as a baby was growing in her womb as she sang. And because she knew of God's covenant promise, she knew that he was going to bring the justice that her people had been longing for for so long. And when Jesus grew into a man, this is exactly what he declared. Because we can just skip over a few chapters and go to Luke 4. And it says, He went to Nazareth, that's Jesus, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's a God of justice, a God of righteousness, of fairness. And just as Mary sang her song of justice, making a bold declaration in the face of oppression, we can speak the truth of God's justice in the face of unfairness, in the face of oppression, in the face of injustice. So now, Mary is firmly out of the nativity set box. What have we learned from this most well-known of mothers? Her courageous and bold song filled with prophetic truth and sound theology is a song of praise. Mary, mother of Jesus, gives God all of the glory. She acknowledges who God is and the great things that he's done. And this mother, well, she was also a disciple of Jesus, following him, believing in him, trusting in him in every and any circumstance. May our lives be lived praising God, acknowledging him, giving him all the glory, remembering him, not forgetting his goodness to us, letting our words and our actions point towards him. Mary's song was a song of victory. She boldly declared God's victory in her life and in the world. And she might have seemed like one of the most unlikely people to do something remarkable, but she met God's qualification of being in awe and reverence of him. (coughs) Would we be a people who live in God's victory, who live in the victory that Jesus has won when he died and he rose again, when he defeated death and the grave? Would we be a people who don't count ourselves out because of some of the world's measurements of age or wealth or status or gender, but instead know that we are called and qualified if we fear the Lord, that he wants to use us just as we posture ourselves in the right way towards him? And Mary's song was a song of justice. These subversive words that she sang that have had governments quaking over the years, they speak of God's kingdom of the humble being raised up, of the hungry being filled up. They speak of Herod's being brought down and a young woman so filled with God that she can make prophetic statements about God's justice coming to earth. Would we be a people who have the courage 
to declare God's justice, to declare God's kingdom coming in the face of oppression, in the face of injustice, in the face of unfairness that we see in the world. Mary's song was a song of praise and of victory and of justice. And we, as God's people, we get to sing this song ourselves. We get to sing songs of praise to God. We get to stand in God's victory and we get to declare his justice in the world. Is that good news this morning, church? Yeah, I think so too. Now, I said about living in God's victory and what that means. And I want to give an opportunity to anybody who doesn't yet know God. You're not yet in a relationship with God. You haven't said yes to Jesus yet. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to pray a prayer that's going to appear on the screen. And we're all going to pray this together. But this is particularly for you if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus. If you haven't yet said sorry to Jesus for your sins. And yes, you want to follow him with your whole life. And so we're going to pray together as the words come on the screen. But this is particularly for you if you've never prayed this prayer before. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I choose relationship with you and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.